Dave shared with you the scripture that we uh, drew out of this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. If you have a Bible that has any kind of subheading, it may say self, uh, an example or a model of self-denial. And this is what Paul was talking about, because by now, the church at Corinth, there were several mature Christians, folks who had joined the church. Now, the church was made up of both Jew and Gentile. Now, the Jews were a rather poor people, even in Corinth. But the Gentiles were very wealthy. Corinth was a, was a, a hub of commerce. You know, we use that term, all roads lead to Rome. Actually, all roads led from Rome. But all roads actually went through Corinth. It was a shipping hub. It was a commerce hub. All, many things went through there. And so there was a lot of money to be made. And when there's a lot of money, there's a lot of extravagance. There's a lot of luxury. There's a lot of convenience. There's a lot of self-gratification. And this is one of the issues that Paul is dealing with. And, and the problem that we have sometimes with Scripture is we read it as though this whole big picture has been drawn to us. We don't always have that. We don't have always the background. It's not until chapter 9 that Paul begins to address this. But what it basically has come to is that there were some of those folks in the church at Corinth who felt that they had, shall we say, certain privileges. They sat above others. And Paul is using these verses, 1 through 18, to share what honor he could claim. Now, I'm not going to go through it all again. You read it. You can read it again. I challenge you to read it again this week. We'll make uh, mention of some more of it. But as Paul is sharing this, there are two things that I wish to really point out. And one of the things was is his argument that he says, listen, I was an apostle. Now, that, does, that means a little to us. We hold apostles in high regard. But we need to realize that these were the founding men. You know, we talk about the founding fathers of our country and what regard we hold them. Well, in the same way, these were who the apostles were. If you could get one of these guys, these were, these were the early rock stars, if you would, of the church. Okay? And if you could get one of these guys to come to your church, man, you could sell out the crowd. And Paul is saying, and one says, he says, I've been called to be one of these apostles. And he says this reasoning is because he has seen Jesus. And we know that because he shares that. We have that testimony in the book of Acts. He's on the road to Damascus. We're familiar with that passage, aren't we? He is Saul. He is Saul of Tarsus. He has been commissioned to round up Christians and to prosecute them. That's his job. And so as he is on his way to Damascus, he is going to round up some Christians. We know the rest of that story. The Lord appears to him. Christ appears to him and calls him out of being a prosecutor to eventually becoming a persecuted. And Paul says, I've seen Jesus. And he uses words. For example, in First Second Timothy, he says this. He says, I know in whom I've believed. Now, we talk about creeds every once in a while. And a creed is something that you believe in. 
In fact, we're tempted sometimes, I believe, and, I, and, and check me on this, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Would someone look up the preposition that's there? I'm giving you an assignment. I'm doing this so I can catch my breath. Work with me, people. What's the preposition there? If there's an English teacher and I'm misrepresenting this, this is a place of forgiveness. Pastor, what says there? Believe on or believe in? Believe in. Some ver- I know you might have a newer version. What does it say? In? On. King James is on. King James is on. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A little difference there. One letter. But it makes a big difference. Because it stays from believing just merely in something, but to believing on something because you have personally witnessed it. You believe in Christmas. And maybe at one time, and I've got to be careful here because I know we have some children here, okay? You believe in some of the entities of Christmas, okay? Am I safe to say that? Okay. All right. And you did such without having seen. But Paul is saying, I have not merely believed in Jesus Christ because I had someone come and tell me, and I believed in their testimony, but I have witnessed on my own account who Christ is. And because of that, because of that knowledge, because of that experience, Christ has made me an apostle. Not my experience. Christ has made me an apostle. I have seen Jesus. And he says that emphatically. And then he goes on to tell the church at Corinth, he says, I'm worthy of all those things which I pre-mentioned because I have an effective ministry. There's a lot of ineffective ministries out there. We have, as Dave mentioned in the prayer, we have over 30 different ministries. And, we, and we're, we're always willing to add, and we're always willing to examine which are working, which are not. Because we want this church to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Everybody sitting there going, sounds good. Sounds good in theory. <laughs> but that's what we want it to be about. When you leave here today... You have a commissioned ministry. And that's to go tell. It's just simple. Go tell. Now you can do that by going out and saying, Well, Ron said, I'd rather you didn't. Not that I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. Okay? But I'd rather you, you own it. You make it your own. And that you go out with the authority of Scripture. And you're able to say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because of what I have experienced as a member of the body of Christ. Amen? Alright, you have a ministry. There you go. You're one of the 30 now. You have no excuse. I've withdrawn that for you. But he goes on to say that one of the things is, he says, if anything else, he says, I have the testimony of this. I have the testimony of you. And he goes on to use this word. He says, you are my seal. 
Now, he wasn't talking about that seal that you see at SeaWorld where it balances the ball on its nose and it'll work for a fish. Okay? Sometimes that's what churches expect of people. Just to kind of fall in line, do it, right? Right? Let me tell you, my job would be much easier if you do that. But that's not the right way to do it. Amen? Maybe it is. I didn't get a hearty one there. But what he's saying here is he's saying the same thing as if you put a seal for security. It was, it was in the ancients that it would take seven seals to finalize a will. And when a person passed and that will, will was to be opened, that the only way that that will would stand up in court, that's a lot of W's, was to have all of those seals unbroken. Hmm, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? When you go to Revelations, there are seven seals. Testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen? I won't charge you extra for that one. And so Paul said, you are my seal. You are my legal witness to what I have done. Therefore, all those previous things that I have mentioned, I have a privilege to. But then he goes on to say, but I'm not. I'm not claiming that. But rather, what I'm going to claim is what Christ has called me to do. And he said, preach. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you look at this, you see that Paul, having met with Jesus and had learned of Jesus, had probably heard the same words from Jesus that Mark penned that Peter heard. If you go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, we see why Paul is able to say, I'm willing, I'm able, and I must deny what the world says I'm entitled to. And I must do what Christ says. And if you turn to Mark chapter 8, 34, Jesus says this. And when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and come, follow me. Do you ever wonder what the secret was to Christianity? What it takes to get up every morning and put on Christ? It's really just simply two words. It isn't words that say, how can I be a great leader? It isn't based on our ability. It's not based on our personal charisma. I mean, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed Dr. Hennard last week. It was great to hear him. It was, it was a blessing to meet him. And, and, I, and I got the beautiful privilege of, of meeting outside of the church with him on a couple of occasions. And he is a wonderful man of God. And the statement that he made, I believe, Tuesday night about where he stood theologically on the second coming. Whew! Some of you that weren't here, you'll have to come and see me afterwards. Stay after school. He was spot on. 
Okay? He's a Bible man. He is a God-centered Bible man, and it was a blessing. It was a blessing and refreshing to hear him challenge us each week. And so that personal charisma is not even what drives us. What art, it is not the secret, but rather it's those two words. Follow me. It was a cartoon some time ago, a little cartoon, comic strip cartoon. And it said, on it, it said, the church light. L-I-T-E. It was on the marquee, and it said, the light church. 24% commit, fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5% tithe. 15-minute sermons. By the way, you'll know you're not going to be in that church, right? 45-minute services. We have only eight commandments, your choice. And we have an 800-year millennium. And everything you wanted in a church and less. Oh, my goodness. What kind of church would that be? Well, sadly to say, it's the average church in America. It is the average church in America. Because far too long, many people have had that kind of relationship with the Lord. I want to throw out three quick words. And they are the words casual, convenient, and comfortable. When something is casual, it basically means, oh, it's nonchalant. Whatever. By the way, can I say that by those who are linguists, said that the most despised word in the English language today is whatever. Whatever. Because it's, it makes a statement of basically non-commitment and indifference. And if you go back to the book of Revelations, Jesus said, I would that thou be hot or cold, but that thou art lukewarm. You caused me to vomit. You say, those are strong words, Rod. They're not Moran's words, they're the Lord's words. And what he was saying is, I'd rather that you be all out for me. So that the people know where you're at. Or I would rather that you be a persecutor. So that the people know where you're at. But because you've got to have a spirit of indifference about what it is that what I did at the cross, you break my heart. You break my heart. And I'm heart sick. And that's casual. Convenient, being suited to your purpose. You know, there are times when pastors step on people's toes. And you know how you can tell? By the movement in the pews. Right, Pastor? <laughs> can I tell you? We don't go home and think about these things. Oh, I stay up at night sometimes, but these aren't the kind of things I think of. But I do want the Holy Spirit to prick your soul. And I want Him to make you sometimes uncomfortable. I want Him to, to cause you to squirm a little. Because then you begin to do some introspection. And then you begin to look at your life. And you ask this question. What am I doing? What am I not doing? Is He talking to me? Is He talking about me? Because maybe, maybe I am, and maybe I'm not. But I want you to think. And then, comfortable. Oh, my goodness, comfortable. We like comfort, don't we? 
I'll tell you how I can get all of you here to a business meeting. Vote to replace the pews with lazy boys. I'd have 100% attendance. <coughs> now, the problem we'd have is what color. <laughs> Listen, if I got you to that point, I'll let you choose your own. All right? Well, let me tell you something. There's nothing casual, convenient, or comfortable about a true disciple. In the original Greek, in the original language, in the original Greek, it actually says this. Keep on denying... Keep on taking your cro- up your cross and keep on following me. In other words, there are times we feel like quitting. Now, none of you have ever felt that way. There are times we feel like giving up. There are times we feel like we are inadequate. There are times that we feel, God, you can't use me because I'm broken. There are times that we feel that God should just pass us over and give the task to the next guy or the next gal. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, when I've come to you, when I came to you, and he came to you, If you walked an aisle, if you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you accept Him in such fashion, He came to you personally, you personally, and says to you even today, keep on denying yourself. Keep on taking up your cross. Keep on following me. In other words, it's yours to keep on. You see, I have to keep on keeping mine on. And Christ needs you to keep yours keeping on. And so Jesus tells us that it's not a decision of the moment, but rather it's the decision of a lifetime. I was reading an article and there were three things which gentlemen brought out concerning a casual or convenient or comfortable faith <coughs> versus a committed one. And I want to share those with you. And the first one is this. There is a denial you must embrace. In other words, you have to deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Former Maryland poet laureate um, Lucille Clinton wrote a poem in which she tries to picture herself keeping her eyes closed and ignoring the truth. But when she finishes the poem, there's a voice that comes telling her, it says, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. And in that same way, When Christ comes to us, there is a metaphorical door that separates us from Him, if you would. And He even says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's a wonderful painting of Christ at the door. You're all familiar with it. 
And I don't know how much detail you've ever paid attention to it, but if you look at that door, by the way, I was a door salesman, so I look at doors. There's something missing. There's no handle on Jesus' side of the door. You see, you can't take the knob and just simply turn it and walk in. The door is latched from the inside. And you must open it up. And so today, if you have not received Jesus Christ, He's telling you today, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I'm asking you to open it up. I'm not going to force my way into your life. I'm not going to guilt my way into your life. I am not going to do anything except let you invite me into your life. That's what he does. And so today, that invitation is there for all who will open that door. But we've opened that door, some of us. Now, there have been times I've opened the door to somebody, and boy, I can't wait till they leave. There was one time I opened the door to somebody, and they wouldn't leave. So I walked out on the front porch. They didn't get the hand at first. I had to poke my head back in and say, hey, I'm out here now. Okay? There are some tough people, Amen. But we've invited Jesus in. And I think sometimes in our lives, we think that we can ask Him to leave. It's not convenient again to have Him here. But you ask Him in. But notice what He says in that verse of Scripture. He says, I knock, and if you will open the door, He says, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. Now what that says is, He says, first of all, I'm coming in. And I'm going to be with you the whole time we're at your house. I think it was Ben Franklin who said, Guests and fish after three days stink. You'll catch that later. You invited Jesus. And there are times... I wonder if we don't think, oh, this stinks. What I sign up for? He told you, deny yourself. Deny yourself means that we renounce our right to ourselves, our right to run our own lives. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus is not talking about the pleasures and certain comforts. He's not saying that, listen... You live in a house, I want you out of that house, and I want you living on the street, and I want you living hand to mouth. That's not what he's saying. I mean, my goodness, we, we have all kinds of examples in the Bible of people who, who were rich, who had things, who lived, quote-unquote, comfortable lives. But when they were called on in service to Christ, in the service to God, they gave sacrificially. They gave of their selves. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wants you. He knows you live amongst community. He knows that people look at you. And He knows that sometimes it's more effective to be in the position socially that you are 
than not. You see, I have a limited scope. I'm hoping everybody I work with is Christian. I didn't hear June say amen. <laughs> amen. All right, thank you. In other words, all the employees that I get to work with are Christian. How many of you would like that? Okay, i got a couple people. Well, let, me, let me help you change that. Okay? No, you, you can't come work here. This is my gig. All right? But start sharing Christ around where you're at. Oh, Rod, that's hard. No, no, it's not. You see, there's a thing that's infectious. It's about Christ. There's something infectious about Jesus Christ. Amen? The more you talk about Him, the more people want to hear about Him. And the more people hear about Him, the more they come to know Him. And the more they come to know Him, they yearn for Him to be in the personal relationship with Him that you have. They need to see that. So guess what? Start working it. Everybody where you work can be Christian one day. All right? I'm laying that responsibility. I'll give you two jobs today. Two ministries. Wow. I'm only need 28 more, Dave. Well, what it basically says is you are not your own. We've been bought with a price. And so the very first thing is, there needs to be denial that you embrace. You have to understand that. And that denial basically tells us that in that self-denial, it's the bedrock okay, of our relationship. And then secondly of that self-denial is to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost is involved. Martin Luther, a great reformer, said this, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Amen? Mother was preparing pancakes for her two sons, and they began to argue who was going to get the first pancake. Kind of sounds reminiscent of that let go of my Lego commercial, doesn't it? And they were arguing, and she saw this as a teachable Jesus moment. Now, parents, every once in a while we get these teachable Jesus moments. Amen? Okay. So watch for them. They're there. And so what she said was, she said to her two sons, she said, Listen, you need to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? He would let his brother... Have the first pancake. And the older brother, who had a little more wisdom than the younger, was quick to say, Okay, Bobby, you be Jesus. <laughs> In other words, we like it when someone else denies. Amen? How many of you know who Dan Cathy is? Well, can I tell you, you know who Dan Cathy is. Alright? Just didn't know his name. How many of you ever had a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A? All right, good. Now, I'll tell you something about Chick-fil-A. They were one of the first places that, I mean, you know, in the south where Chick-fil-A's from, you get tea, but what do you get? What? Sweet tea. My brother, when he moved to Atlanta, he turned me on to Chick-fil-A. You could buy that stuff in the gallon. Okay? 
You could go up to the drive-thru and say, Look, well, you're going a sweet tea. You didn't even have to say sweet tea. Okay? Because there was only one kind of tea. Well, that was Dan Cathy. He's the CEO of Chick-fil-A. He was building a new store out in the Saddleback area. And the Saddleback area, as you know, is also home of Saddleback Community Church, where Rick Warren is pastor. And he met with Rick, and he said, I want you to come, and we're, we're building this new building. I want you to come, and we'll look at the construction. And so they went, and they looked at the construction site. And, of course, Kathy's involved in the whole thing. And so when he's done, he's dirty. He's grimy. But he's also this. He's hungry. His store's not finished. And so he and Rick decide, okay, we need to go to lunch somewhere. Where do we want to go to lunch? And they look across the street, and guess what? The only thing that's convenient is Taco Bell. Ooh. There's a little difference between Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell. Okay? But he went there. Seeing that they were dirty, Kathy and Warren go into the restroom, and they go in and they wash up. And as they are finishing washing up, Kathy does something that's very interesting, Warren says. He says he begins to pull paper towels down. Now, my first thought would be, he's putting them in his pocket so he can cut his costs. Okay, he's going to put them in his store. Right? I mean, that's the way to do it. Oh, come on, tell me you have never done that. I'm going to save two cents. I'm going to steal the napkins. Come on, the ketchup packet. I bet if I went in your house today, there's a drawer full of ketchup packets. And you know why I know that? Because i got a refrigerator in the gym. It's got a bag of them. All right? And so they go in there, and Warren is witnessing this, and here's what Kathy does. He wets the paper towels. And he begins to wipe down the mirrors. And he begins to wipe the lavatories off. He begins to wipe anything. He begins to wipe the door handle. He begins to wipe it all off, and he picks up all the paper towels, and he puts them in the garbage. And as they're about to leave, Warren says, Hey, Dan, thank you. And Kathy said this. He said, I practice what I preach. He says, I tell all my employees that wherever they are, whatever they do, they are to leave it better than they found it. I'm tired of hearing Christians bellyache about the world they live in. You found it this way. Leave it better than you found it. Amen? Live Christ. Deny self. Live Jesus out. When you're gone, when they lay you in the tomb, let it be said that you left the part of the world that you found a little better than the way you found it. Amen? And then their second thing is, there needs to be a death that you must experience. Jesus said, take up your cross. That beautiful chancel cross. Some of you may be wearing crosses. We really have turned that thing into a, a, a work of art, haven't we? But it was brutal. It had no, no beauty to it. 
You know, we, we've really sanitized the cross. I can't say for certain, <coughs> but I recognize and understand that there's a good likelihood that the cross that Jesus hung on had been used to crucify other men. And the blood that was stained on that cross as Jesus laid there of those men who went before was testimony that they could not save themselves. And that as Jesus' blood was drawn into the fibers of that wood timber, it covered the blood of those men who died on it before and serves as a testimony to you and to me that everything that we are able to do as human beings is not enough. And that if the only thing that Jesus asks us to do is take up our cross and follow Him, and that He is willing to pay for our sins for eternity, past, present, future, then it doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem much like to ask us to experience our death on behalf of Him. And what I mean by that is dying again to self. Bearing the cross is a choice. It's voluntary. Committed Followers are cross-bearers. Casual followers seek an easier way. Committed followers seek to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Casual followers seek an emotional lift. Committed followers seek to make it to heaven. Casual followers seek it merely to escape hell. That's a difference. And then finally, thirdly, there's a direction you must ensue. <coughs> Follow him. Gandhi knew who Jesus Christ was, had studied him, actually learned a lot of his pacifism from studying Christ, turned the other cheek and such. <coughs> he was once asked by a friend, he says, if you admire Christ so much, why don't you become a Christian? And this was his response. He says, when I meet a Christian who is a follower of Christ, I might consider it. Think about that. You're the lead dog. You're the lead dog in somebody else's life. When I went to Alaska, I was able to stand on the very place where the Iditarod started, and I also got to stand in the place where the Yukon Quest went through. Now you say, okay, I'm familiar with the Iditarod. What is the Yukon Quest? The Yukon Quest is a much arduous, longer, tougher race. It's actually the one that Alaskans tend to um, see as their state sport more. But one of the things that is vital to every one of those uh, mushers is that lead dog. Because that lead dog leads them through ice, through ravines. I mean, he, he, is, he is taught to take them and be aware of all the obstacles 
that the other dogs might encounter. You're a lead dog. There is somebody following you. There is somebody looking at how you're living your life. There's somebody who is looking at you saying, Gee, it's got to be okay for me to do that because I know a Christian who does that. Where are you leading them? Where are you leading them? To follow Jesus means to lead them in those paths of righteousness that you have chose to follow. And so we need to recognize that there is a direction that you must ensue, that you must captivate, that you must entrust into such a point where you says, listen, I don't know fully where Jesus is leading me, but he's commissioned me to be in front of somebody else. And I've got to trust Him enough. I have to trust Him enough to take me where He wants them to go. Amen? And so, we need to recognize that we cannot, we cannot focus on self. If your Christianity is dull and boring, if it's a burden, it's not a blessing, then most of you are simply involved in a project, a cause, not a person. I get excited about people. There's some of you that when you come in and and you say hi to me, I'm excited to see you. I'm not going to say anything else. Some of you are very wise people. (laughs) It excites me to see you. I am happy to see you. I am not simply happy just to hear about you. I like seeing you. I like talking with you. I like fellowshipping with you. I like conversing with you. I like you. And I say that because I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's wonderful to have that fellowship with you. And that is what it means. To follow Jesus Christ. So in closing, the question that we need to ask is, why? Why should I die, do all this? Why should there be denial, death, and direction? Those aren't really words we like. It's because he did it for you. He denied himself. He's the rightful heir. The rightful heir to the throne in heaven. He denied himself. Put on the... the the garb of man, and came down and lived amongst his creation. He died a humiliating, horrifying death so that his blood would cover not a sin, but all sin. And he followed the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. Before you leave here today, ask yourself this. Is your faith merely convenient? Is it casual? Is it comfortable? Or are you going to choose to make it committed? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 
for the example we have in Christ. And though we may not live exactly to that example, you give us the opportunity. (coughs) You give us the opportunity because you have given us something that you've given to no other people. And I don't mean exclusively to the people of Moundsville Baptist Church, but to all who will come and receive Christ. You give us the ability to serve you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've imputed into us that power. (coughs) And so that we're thankful, Father. And so if there's one here today, Father, who has not given over to that direction of Christ, may that Holy Spirit prick that heart today. May they recognize that Jesus knocks and he's asking them to invite them in. For those of us who have invited him in, Lord, may today also be the day that we re-examine. It's important that we take time and we re-examine who we are in Christ and understand the commission that has been laid at our feet. And the Father, that as Jesus told those disciples almost 2,000 years, that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, come follow him. Keep on denying. Keep on taking up the cross. Keep on following the Lord. No matter what the cost, no matter how difficult the task is at hand, the victory is Jesus Christ. Help us to understand that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.